You're listening to the 27th episode of the Scrubbing Unhappy podcast, where we remind you how to put one food in front of the other in moments when life serves you lemons. Say yes to happiness and take on even the most difficult days and still feel good while drinking your lemonade. If you never heard my voice before, I am Zuzana Mukumai, and I'm a coach, mentor, journalist, wife, mom, and former pessimist turned into believing that every challenge or setback can be a gift. I'm a woman who wants to be happy, and I'm dedicated to helping you feel happy too, even when life is like a roller coaster. In this episode, I am talking to Elisa Collins, a psychedelic harm reduction and burnout expert professionally known as the Burnout Witch. After experiencing and recovering from burnout, she made it her mission to help others identify negative coping mechanisms, explore their boundaries, and bring a sense of balance to their bodies and brains. When she's not working with clients, she's consuming all forms of music, reading, rock climbing, and having solo dance parties with her cats. Hi, Elisa. Welcome to the Scrubbing Unhappy podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I love the name of your podcast. So when I saw it, I was really pumped. (laughs) Yes. So Elisa, you have gone through burnout and now you help others to optimize life and get out of the survival mode. And you do it in a bit different way than we are usually used. So can you tell us a bit more about your story and how did uh, your journey led you to using psychedelics uh, in your uh, practice? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I was a child of what we refer to as big T trauma. So my biological mother passed away when I was 13 months old. I was a baby. And that kind of set me up for being a very anxious person. It set me up for being a perfectionist. Um, I was a big worrier as a kid and we didn't really diagnose anxiety the way that we do now in the eighties and early nineties. So I was just sort of considered an emotional kid um, and, and very focused on being right and being perfect and being good. And I was very good at that. I got A's in school. I was overachiever and it served me really well in high school and college. But as I got older, that type of pattern can become really exhausting because we are not perfect and life is not perfect. And so you need to be able to kind of roll with the punches and, and adjust and course correct. And so when I went through the acupuncture program that I got my master's degree in acupuncture and Eastern medicine in my early thirties, I moved to a city where I didn't know anybody and I started a practice, which is what everybody did. And I was kind of wearing all of the hats. So I was the acupuncturist. I was the receptionist. I was the biller. I was the accountant. I was doing all of these things and I had imposter syndrome. I felt like I didn't know enough. And so I was doing a lot of continuing education and trying to get smarter and know more and make sure that my pa- my patients were, um, we're getting the best of what I had to offer. And it got really exhausting. Um, So I learned a lot of stuff. Um, In addition to becoming an acupuncturist, I got certified in hypnosis. I got certified in functional medicine. And throughout my adult life, I had been doing therapy and self-improvement work and work on my own, you know, physical health and all of these things. 
And in 2019, it was right before I got my functional medicine certification, I burned out really badly. Um, I was exhausted. I didn't have the energy to put into my, my business anymore. And I reached out to a friend of mine who was a very successful acupuncturist who had started practices in countries where she didn't even speak the language when she first started out. And I said, what did you do? Because you got, you made really successful businesses and I'm struggling a lot in my business right now. And she said, well, you're burned out. And so I'm not going to help you build your business. I'm going to help you heal your burnout. And through that, my business did start to grow and thrive again because I was starting to let go of that perfectionism mm -hmm. and I was letting go of that imposter syndrome and showing up more authentically and allowing myself to make mistakes and supporting myself and slowing down. Um, and in uh, 20, like late 2021, I had done so much improvement on my health, my mental health, my physical health, my burnout recovery. I had come such a long way and I felt like I still was stuck. There was just this, this feeling that I couldn't get past that I was still a very anxious person. And even though I was aware of my anxiety and I had tools to manage it, I didn't feel like they were as effective as they could be. I didn't feel like my brain and my body were connected and Things that we normally use to help us create that brain body connection like yoga nidra and breathing techniques and meditation weren't working for me. It didn't matter how small the meditation was or how simple the breathing technique was or using, you know, EFT tapping as an anxiety management technique. They, they maybe worked a little bit to a point, but they just didn't work as well as they could or should. And so I thought back to my trauma from when I was a kid, that happened before I could talk. I didn't have words for that. And so where that internalized was in my body. And if I couldn't access my body, I couldn't make sense of that. And in my acupuncture practice, I work with a lot of veterans who were in the United States military. And some of them had used psychedelics to help with PTSD. And I, I have a form of PTSD from that, which is, you know, complex PTSD or chronic PTSD. And so I found a specialist who um, is a coach who helps people with psychedelics. And he and I did about six months of preparation work for a psychedelic trip that I eventually did. And when I did my psychedelic trip for the first time in my life, I could feel feelings in my body. I understood what it meant like to really feel love and feel gratitude and even feel anxiety in a different way because psychedelic trips can be anxiety producing at certain points. And the day after my psychedelic trip, my brain was quiet for the first time ever. I wasn't constantly thinking of what, what do I have to do next or prepping for Monday while I'm folding my laundry, I was present. I was just folding my laundry. And it was this really amazing experience where I understood how beneficial these could be. And I had done a lot of work on myself in terms of knowing anxiety management techniques and breathing techniques and somatic techniques that helped me get through that trip. But a big trip is not something that I was really excited about doing again because it was anxiety producing. And so I started looking at microdosing and how that could be useful. 
um, which is taking a very, very small dose to where you, you don't get the hallucinogenic effect. So you don't see things, you don't hear things, but you're still getting the compound in your system. And I started using that very intentionally along with the burnout techniques and somatic techniques that I had been using the rest of my life that didn't really feel like they were working. All of a sudden they started working. And I did this enough times that I got to a point where they work now when I don't microdose and when I don't have psychedelics in my system, I was able to rewire my brain and my body to function in a more calm and secure way. And so that's a little bit of a long winding story, but that's how I got to um, integrating psychedelics into burnout recovery. Yeah. And thank you for sharing. And it's really interesting. And it makes me skip to question I wanted to ask later on, but I thought maybe it's the right time to ask now, because there was big focus on psychedelics uh, and the research back in 60s, both in the US and outside, even in Czechoslovakia at that time. And then everything was put on hold. And mm -hmm. like until recently, um, I may be wrong, but that's like, I'm no expert on that. But until recently, I feel like it was more like in the illegal side, something like just like, you know, hippies are using. And recently, <laughs> yeah. it started like coming back to therapy and for using it in treating mental disorders or optimizing life. So why do you think uh, like why is that what would you like to say when it comes to kind of this that there was a big research then it was put on hold and it's coming back yeah a lot of why it ended up get putting getting put on hold uh, at least in the united states was what was referred to as the war on drugs and the war on drugs was actually a, a war on social class and race so there wasn't a lot of instance of, and there still tends to not be a lot of instance of like violent crime committed on hallucinogenics. You know, most people, like you said, that it was hippies. People went to music festivals or, you know, they sit on their couch or they go out into nature and that type of a thing. Um, but they were, they were trying to immobilize and, and kind of round up classes and races of people. So it, it was very much a war on black people and brown people. Um, and this was with a variety of drugs. So this was with um, cannabis or marijuana as well. And it it was a political movement. And there were also some instances where therapists were using this type, these types of things like hallucinogens in basements without good research and without good, you know, structure. So there was some concern with that too, of like, you know, not having best practices. And so without a lot of attention to detail or nuance, they just sort of lumped everything together and said, drugs are bad, don't use them. And there were some um, very committed people in the field of research who had been researching these things and continually just chipped away at the sort of legal oppression of it. And then we started looking for other things to treat things like complex PTSD, um, to treat, you know, war veterans um, and people who have been through horrific trauma to be able to process it. And that early research came back. And so we the research side of things is really, I think, what jump started the movement back towards psychedelics. And now in the US, you have places that are starting to decriminalize or legalize. 
So it's been decriminalized, I think, and legalized in Oregon and Colorado, which are a couple of states on the, the west side of the United States. Um, there's legislation that's in the process in Rhode Island, where I live, that would potentially decriminalize it as early as next year or 20, 2024 to 2025. Um, and so there's there's a lot more, there's a lot less focus on it as being a kind of hard drug. And even in places where it hasn't been like legalized or decriminalized yet, a lot of police organizations are doing what they're calling a deprioritization. So it's technically still illegal, but the police are not going to make it a priority. They're not going to be looking for it. They're not going to be, you know, heavily prosecuting it. So it's it's really kind of getting the rollback from from all of the legislative and policy that has been in place for the last several decades. Hmm. And this is area which is really connected to, to lots of negative connotations and stereotypes. So uh, can you mention how like these affect maybe your practice or um, how people perceive it? Because like when I hear psychedelics, like my first uh, thing is mushrooms, which we used to yeah. collect at the university, right? Because where I yeah. study, they grow in the forest, like everywhere. Um, yeah. So... <laughs> So like, what would you say about the stereotypes and the negative connotations and what is it in reality? Yeah, so I think some of the, the biggest negative connotations that psychedelics and mushrooms have is that people think they're going to fry your brain or that you're going to have a bad trip. That's the, the thing that most people come to me wanting to prevent is I don't want to have a bad trip. And the interesting thing about these compounds is there is a little bit of having to let go of control when you take a large dose of these because your brain is going to go where your brain is going to go. So it's not so much what happens if your brain goes there. It's a matter of how do you deal with it when your brain goes there. And so when someone is preparing for a large dose trip, which is usually when this happens, when we're talking about microdosing, um, which is very small amounts. So a large dose starts about one gram, which is 1000 milligrams. A micro dose is usually between 100 and 300 milligrams. So it's a very, very small amount. So you don't hallucinate, you don't see things, you don't hear things. Um, sometimes you might feel like a little bit lighter or happier. Um, I've, I've noticed that on like a certain microdose, I won't notice any of the hallucinogenic things, but it'll feel like I've had like a half a glass of wine on an empty stomach. You just kind of feel like light and happy. Um, it's the larger doses of things that people tend to be concerned about. So when you experience something in the middle, something challenging in the middle of a trip, what systems do you have in place to help you deal with it? That can be getting up and moving to a different room. We always recommend having a trip sitter, um, which is a friend or a professional who knows how to help you deal with these types of things. They can talk you through it. You can change music. You can put music on. You can turn it off. What are you doing to sort of manage it while it's happening? And then because these types of substances can bring up or remind us of trauma, what are you doing with that information after? And that's where integration becomes really important and why it's, uh, in my opinion, very important to work with a professional. So somebody like me who is a coach or a psychedelic assisted therapist, if you're specifically going in to do trauma work, 
because when these things come up, they can come up as images or feelings or experiences or either real or imagined memories that you then need to do something with. And you're, you might not be able to make sense of that on your own. So having somebody else to talk to and explore that with and make sense out of that is really, really important. So if you're interested in doing this type of work, whether it's microdosing or large dosing, I always recommend working with somebody who understands the compound that you're using and can help you prepare for it, execute it, and then recover and integrate from it. Because that's that's really where a lot of that magic is. And people who have had quote unquote bad trips or challenging trips who have been able to talk through that and make sense of that often reflect on the fact that it was a really good experience. It was really hard and it was really challenging and it was really scary, but the amount of healing that came from understanding it is what made the big kind of long-term impact for them. Mm. And I appreciate you saying, you highlighting the importance of integrating what you have gone through because otherwise, like, I guess that's where the biggest like impact and change lies. And it's so important. And I mean, it's valid for everything, like to kind of uh, integrate and see what, what is it I can learn from this. And I'm kind of curious because... I have I have never done this kind of therapy and maybe my listeners didn't do it as well. So um, we talked about mushrooms, but there are like many plant uh, psychedelics. So I was curious, which one do you use? And like, how does it look if somebody hires you as a coach, uh, if somebody wants you to support them uh, through the trauma, like how does it look? Yeah, so I do specialize in mushrooms. Um, as you said, there are a variety of different compounds. So one of them is ayahuasca. Um, that's, you know, very prevalent in, um, Southern and South American, um, cultures and history in the Southwest of the U S we have peyote. There is MDMA, which is ecstasy. There is ketamine and ketamine is, I think the only one right now that's approved throughout the United States for therapeutic use. So you can see a therapeutic doctor nurse practitioner or physician assistant who is certified to do ketamine therapy and you can do that with them. That's not a problem. Um, I use mushrooms with people and I don't supply them. Um, how I kind of got into this work was I actually had some veterans and some people coming to me and saying, Hey, I, I want to do this and I want to do it safely. Do you know how to do this safely? And I, I do, I understand the research and I understand the science. So I don't supply people with it because in the United States it is still illegal, but one of the first things that I do is find out where that person is at and why they want to do it. You know, I had very specific reasons for wanting to do it. And one of the things that I work with my clients is if you just want to feel better, if you want to take the medicine and feel better, you can do that with a mushroom. You can do that with an antidepressant. You can do that with a variety of things. So I'm somebody that you come to if you actually want to do some work around it. So we get a pretty clear idea of sort of where you're at or where, where you feel stuck. And then we look at the type of resources that you have. So like I said, when I did my trip, I had breathing techniques. I understood changing location. I understood a lot of these things and they were automatic tools that I used, even though I didn't feel like they were as effective as they could be. 
So if the person that I'm working with doesn't have a lot of those tools, that's some of the stuff that we do initially is get them used to, okay, if I'm feeling anxiety, I do this. I sit in a different place. I listen to a meditation. I do something to kind of calm my nervous system down. And then once we start building that in and we give you some resources, um, usually somatic-based ones, so body-based ones, so it is usually like a type of movement or a physical activity, then we start addressing the emotional, the mental emotional reasons for coming to the medicine. What do you want to get out of this experience? Where do you want to go? Who do you want to be on the other side of it? That kind of tailors the type of work that we do. And I usually work with people who are microdosing. So that means we're not preparing them for a large trip. They're taking very small doses a couple times a week, and they have very specific um like rules to follow or ideas or things to work on or mindset to get into. So as an example, if somebody tends to have a very quick temper, if they get very angry very quickly, I will have them zero in on one specific situation. Where do you, where do you get angry most often? In traffic. Okay, great. When you're microdosing and the, the medicine is in your system, the psilocybin is in your system, take a moment to breathe. When you feel yourself starting to get angry in traffic, stop, breathe, remind yourself that this isn't who you want to be. Ask yourself how you do want to react. Think about what the other person who cut you off might be going through. Maybe they're having a bad day. It gives you the opportunity to reframe that anger and work with that when your brain is in a state of what we call neuroplasticity. So that's what psychedelics do. They make your brain more flexible. They make it easier to break bad habits and create new ones. So when you're doing that consciously, while you're microdosing, it's easier for those things to become habit. And then it becomes over time, your natural state of being. So over time, you know, it's not going to be a switch that flips, but over time, you're not going to get as angry when you're in traffic. And all of a sudden, someday you're going to notice that you're not angry at all, hmm. or that you are able to experience different things at different times. So one of the things that happened for me actually very recently I haven't microdosed in a few months and I was having kind of a bad night. I was feeling lonely. That happens to all of us. You know, my partner's long distance. I was by myself. I was kind of crying. What, you know, what does my life look like? And I thought about one of my friends and what she would do kind of on the other side of this or, or you know, if, if something happened and, and I was kind of feeling down for a while, she would cook me dinner and make sure that I was fed sad. I was going to be sad and well-fed. And I felt gratitude in that moment for her. I thought to myself, I'm really grateful for this person. And then I felt that gratitude in my body. I got this really warm feeling in my chest and I started smiling. And so I'm crying and smiling and being sad and feeling gratitude. And I had never felt gratitude in my body in a moment when I was sad before that moment. And I'm 41. And I've been doing gratitude work and, and that type of work for a really long time, but I could feel it in my chest and my body and my whole state of mind changed and I calmed down. And it was this amazing moment that I don't think I would have had if I hadn't been consciously doing that type of work while I was on a microdosing schedule. Hmm. It's, it's really interesting. And um, yeah, I, I, my brain was just thinking about how, 
drugs are really like political things that the things which are legal are often the most harmful like alcohol <laughs> uh, and things which can be actually helping people are still mostly illegal uh, because of stereotypes negative connotation political reasons so it's kind of i mean it's not surprising but it's kind of sad but at least yeah, i would like to <laughs> We're we're, like we're, get, we're moving in the right direction, I think. But yeah. uh, but yes, it is frustrating to be able to have that type of experience and not just be able to give that to somebody else. Mm. So let's get back uh, to the burnout a bit. Um, so once we realize that we are in the midst of burnout or we are heading there, what should be our next step? Uh, what would you say as a coach uh, and uh, a like a therapist who does like all these things should we directly jump into microdosing and psychedelics or should we try some simple steps and I think you kind of explained already a bit but I don't want to be making assumptions so like what would you say yeah no I mean that's that's largely kind of like what we talked about when um what it looks like to work with me and but I that's a very good point because that's sort of prepping for psychedelics in general with burnout I feel it's even more important because with burnout, um, a lot of different things happen to our brains and our bodies when we're burnt out. One of the things that happens is our brain, our prefrontal cortex, so the part that deals with emotion and memory and processing and impulse control, that actually shrinks. And it sounds really scary, but it can grow back. Um, but one of the things that we don't want to do is try and make a really big change when we're burnt out because we literally don't have the brain power, we don't have the processing power to be able to have that change stick. So that's why it's really hard for people who are burnt out if somebody says, start with a gratitude journal. Sometimes, you know, like my issue, I couldn't access gratitude when I was burnt out. I didn't want to. I have a colleague who's a burnout coach who specifically starts people with something called the resentment journal. Because when we're burnt out, we're often very resentful of, you know, feeling like people are taking our time or our energy. So she doesn't start people with gratitude. She starts them with resentment. So psychedelics is not necessarily the last ditch effort that I go to with somebody, but it's usually not the first thing when they're burnt out. So when somebody is burnt out, we want to try and take as much off of your plate as possible. And that can mean making decisions that seem almost silly. Like somebody a few months ago was on a sort of a conference coaching hours call with another colleague of mine, and they were saying, I just can't handle doing the dishes. Like I, I make dinner every night for my family and I can't stand doing the dishes and I just hate it. And I, I'm, I'm not like, I dread it every single day. And I raised my hand and I said, get paper plates. She was like, what? I was like, get paper plates, get paper plates and paper bowls and paper cups if you have to make a roast, make it in a disposable foil pant, throw everything out because you're not doing that forever. You're not going to be living on paper plates for the next 40 years, but this is something that is stressing you out and you can change it just long enough to give yourself some energy to think about something other than dishes. So those are the types of things that we might have people do. We'll have them change their environment. If you your bedroom walls are maroon and you hate it because it's too dark, paint it white or lime green or something that makes you feel better when you're in your bedroom that makes it feel like a sanctuary. Mm -hmm. So we start with really, really small changes 
to start to give your brain a break and give it an opportunity to grow back a little bit more. And then when you've got a little bit more of that brain power and you can feel like you're in a little more control of what's going on, that's the time to be able to say, okay, this is where I am. And either I'm feeling stuck or I, I want a different mindset. Then we can start to consider introducing psychedelics into that mix. Yeah. And I really resonate with um, the way you were describing how you advised uh, that the woman about the paper plates, like what I say that we want to do in our life what works for us and make it as easy as possible. And who cares if it's like weird solution or if it's like looking bad solution, but like as far as it works and like specifically the dishes, I hate them too. And that's why I'm so grateful <laughs> that I live in Africa and I can have a house help like six times a week in my house. And I do dishes sometimes on Sunday and yeah. like, I'm so grateful for this, but like the idea with the paper cups or just getting somebody to do it, it's, it's so important to realize like we don't have to do that shit if we hate it. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that's, you know, giving yourself permission to say, I don't have to, I keep paper plates in my house. I don't use them very often, but if I'm having a really busy week or I'm going through a really stressful time, now I know that that's there. And so even just knowing that it's there as like a fail safe makes me feel less stress because I, I know that it's there and I'm like, okay, I just, I, I'm having a busy morning. I can just throw it on a paper plate and throw it away. Easy peasy. And it gives me more brain power to do other things. Mm-hmm. And talking about uh, prevention or once we recover from the burnout, what we should pay attention to in our lives. Uh, do you have any tips that are rarely talked about and are super helpful? Yeah, so this is an excellent question because it is differentiating between recovery and prevention. So a lot of times when we talk about burnout, what we hear are things like gratitude journals, meditation, all of this stuff. That's good for prevention but it's not good for recovery. Again, we don't have that brain power. So once you have recovered a bit, um, and, and if you want to do something like meditation during recovery, I recommend doing like a yoga nidra because it's a recording. You can listen to it. It's progressive relaxation and it has been shown to increase connections in, in your brain. So it is something that helps that recovery process. Once you have recovered, then things like meditation, exercise, uh, the types of things that we consider for prevention, those can, can kind of come back into play. And I think one of the biggest things between recovery and prevention is understanding your values and your boundaries. So when you know what's important to you, that sets your boundaries for you. So you don't have to worry or put a lot of brain power into making your decisions. So if you've been burnt out trying to balance social obligations and family obligations and various other things, and you decide you want to have a sit down dinner with your family four nights a week, that's, that's what you're aiming for. You know what time you need to get out of work in order to be able to cook dinner if you work for yourself and you can make that kind of flexible choice or places that you can go and get a quick dinner or a pre-made dinner or something like that so that you can sit down and do this. That leaves you three other nights to do what you want. So if all three nights get taken up and you've got your four nights with your family booked and somebody says, hey, would you like to to get coffee this week after work? You can say, I'd love to, but I can't. All taken up. You know, there's there's no concern of like, oh, should I cancel dinner this night or, you know, and 
when we don't know our values and we don't have good boundaries, we struggle with that type of a thing. Eventually you can get a little more flexible and know where your energy goes. So when you have the energy to make those types of changes, then you can. But values and boundaries are a really big thing when it comes to certainly recovery, but also prevention of paying attention to those things. Where, where am I putting my time? Where am I putting my energy? Where am I putting my focus? Even just the amount of brain power that we put into a situation can be really exhausting. So making sure that we're mindful of those things. Mm. It, yeah, it's. I'm just smiling because it's kind of, it's it's incredible how kind of things are connected. So I spoke about boundaries in my like previous podcast episodes and I spoke about it with my clients recently and I was thinking about it for myself. And it's actually like so important to realize like what are our values and then how we can set our boundaries. And I'm like, why they don't teach us these things at school? Like, do we have to become, I don't know, 35, 40 to be discovering these things? Like, why? Yeah, I know. It'd be great if we got this in in grade school. Yeah, so maybe one day, but one day. And Elisa, um, I want this podcast to be something people listen to but then they also get inspired they go into the action because I'm sure you will agree if we just listen to a podcast or read a book and don't do anything about it (laughs) we do a microdose and don't do anything about it nothing will change in our lives so I have a couple of questions which I ask all my guests so uh, my listeners can uh, get inspired so the first one is what lifts you up when you are down Oh, music. Music is a big one for me. I was um I was born into a very musical household and I connect very deeply with music. So certain songs can put me in certain moods, other songs can pull me out of moods. Um when I do larger doses of psychedelics, I actually can't listen to music for the first part of it because my brain focuses so much on it that I'll lose myself in it and I won't actually do any of the internal work. (laughs) Um, So music is a really big one and it's a great way to very quickly change your state. So that's something that I'll recommend to people is find a song that you like that really lifts you up or gives you a lot of energy and just kind of move to it. You don't have to dance. It doesn't have to be big. Just kind of shake your body and get some of the energy out. But music Mm -hmm. is is my go-to. Talking about music, do you know the movie August Rush? Yes, I haven't seen it in a very long time, but yes, I know. I I watched it for the second time recently. I think it was on the plane when we were coming from Europe um, here to Zambia. And as somebody who considers herself not very musical, I am still waiting for the time when I will hear the beat. Uh, But... (laughs) Like I, I'm fascinated how in the movie it shows the people, like how they are connected to the movie, uh, to the music, and like mm-hmm. it's it's a really nice movie. So I would also recommend that to to anybody. And oh, that's great, Elisa. Who inspires you and why? Oh my gosh, that's a really really hard question to ask because I have or to answer because I have the very good fortune of being surrounded by some of the smartest, most interesting, most motivated people in the world. Um, I think one of the people who really inspires me is Brene Brown. Mm. Um, for 
anybody who is familiar with her work um because it it's very meaningful and it's very impactful but there's also a lot of her in that work you know that that came about from her doing her personal work and seeing the value in that um and having to do that personal work after being confronted by um what was showing up in her research and so i really resonate with the the personal connection that she has to the work that she's done Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the work that she puts out into the world is so valuable for everybody. Her book, Atlas of the Heart, is one of my favorite books because it breaks down human emotion in such a really important and meaningful way. So for people who are struggling to understand themselves or where they're at in the world, it can be really useful to just be able to identify emotions and see how they interact because emotions are not singular things. They're the result of interactions with the world around us Hmm. and being able to understand that is I think so important. So yeah, she, she really inspires me and her work really inspires me. I will really now it will be the highest time for me to get the book because I I love <laughs> reading and I haven't read one of the books of Brené Brown so which I think and now I just have to do it because it's <laughs> years overdue. All, so. all of her work is great. Yeah. I read I read three I think three or four of her books. Daring Greatly is of course an excellent one, um, but Atlas of the Heart is probably my favorite so far. Yeah, I'm putting it. Uh, I will go to Amazon and check my buy with one click thing and like get it probably straight away. Awesome. And if there is one thing you would want the ladies and men who are listening to this podcast to do after listening to this conversation, what would that be? After listening to this conversation, what would I want you to do? If there's anything here that resonated with you, Find people in that field, and it doesn't have to be me, but the thing that I think is so interesting about the overlap between both psychedelics and burnout recovery is that these are not things that you're meant to do alone. There is a phrase that I love that is healing happens in community. So if you need to start somewhere just to get, you know, more information, um, follow me on Instagram and there are some hashtags that you can follow like end burnout culture um, that can point you to good resources for starting like a burnout recovery process or the exploration of psychedelics. But there are a lot of people in both fields right now who really want to help and want to provide knowledge and have such fascinating specialties. So, you know, I work with entrepreneurial burnout, but there are people who are specific to corporate burnout. There's a guy not too far from me in the U.S. named Jim Young, who specializes in burnout recovery for men, which is a very underserved population when it comes to burnout recovery, because mostly emotional things are not talked about with guys in our country. You know, guys don't talk about have safe places to talk about um, emotions and challenges and difficulty. So. If there's anything that resonated with you, just start exploring who's in the space that has more information and is available to help. Because maybe this is the sign you were waiting for. You were worried, like, what's going on? You are on your way to 
burnout and now you're listening to this podcast so that's the sign for you to start doing something about it even if it's the tiny tiny small step of checking uh, something on instagram or googling something even the first tiny step count a hundred percent that's the best thing about burnout recovery is that the biggest changes are often made with the smallest steps we start small Okay, Elisa, thank you so much for being here. And before we say bye, where people can find you, you mentioned Instagram, but yep. I'm sure you are on other platforms as well. And what do you have to offer? Uh, I am mostly active on Instagram, but I'm also on TikTok under the handle The Burnout Witch. Um, I'm on LinkedIn as The Burnout Witch as well, Eliza Collins. And my website is www.theburnoutwitch.com. And uh, right now, I don't know when this episode is going to be released, but I am launching a microdosing course. And there are a couple of different varieties and options for people. So uh, the educational portion is a four-week course. We teach you about somatics. We teach you the ins and outs and details of microdosing. And then we talk about some really awesome and effective tools to use while you microdose. You can do just that four-week portion, and that launches September 11th. And if you don't make that round of it, it is something that I'm going to be doing probably either once a month or every couple of months. So if you don't make it into that one, I will be holding it again. Um, with that as well, if you want, you can do the four-week educational portion, and then the following four weeks, you can actually execute what we call a microdosing schedule or a microdosing protocol with support from me. So you can do that in a group setting. Um, I do that with up to six people. We keep it very small so that it's very intimate and very supportive, or you can do that one-on-one -on -one with me. And so, as I said, that launches September 11th, and you can find details for that on my website. And I've been posting about it on Instagram, and I will have a couple of information sessions at noon Eastern Standard Time on August 11th and 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on, I believe, Monday, August 28th. Yeah. So I will put all the links um, to the show notes. And with this, my apologies, because I have been pronouncing your base the entire podcast in an Italian way and I'm so oh, yeah <laughs> no that's okay Elisa Eliza I love them both it's totally okay yeah because I I usually ask my guests about the names and I didn't even think of it because I used to live in Italy and Elisa is one of the typical Italian names so I just assume yeah, it is. it's one of the Americans with the Italian origins I didn't even ask you and I just heard you saying so oh no my family my family my family on my dad's side is Italian, and I I have heard people called it that. I've been called that here as well, Eliza and Eliza. So yeah, I I go by both. Don't worry. Okay, about so it. it's not too embarrassing. It's okay. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you so much for being here. It was really interesting, um, and I am myself inspired. And it's amazing how some things which are heavily stereotyped who really have negative connotations can do amazing things so thank you for um, coming to the podcast and thank you for uh, sharing with us about what you do it's been amazing conversation uh, thank you so much I, I always appreciate the opportunity to uh, destigmatize psychedelics and and help educate people so I really really appreciate your time and all of the hard work that you put into your podcast I know that people really appreciate it Whether you were just curious, 
whether you want to prevent burnout or are headed that way already, or maybe you're dealing with past trauma, I hope you got inspired today, even if it was the tiniest sign for you to start moving towards healing. Remember, healing happens in the community, be it with psychedelics or without. Thank you for listening in today and let's say together, screw being unhappy. Let's say that every single day, especially when life is hard because happiness is our choice. So let's screw being unhappy and say yes to happiness. Let's go and let's do it. Until next time, with love, Susanna.